If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. Serial Killer The Cat My name is Matt. I'm a serial killer. Well, I'm about to be. See, I haven't killed anybody yet, but that's all about to change. When it's all said and done, I'll go down as the most prolific, bloodthirsty, maniacal, sick, twisted, badass serial killer in the history of the world. I already have my plan in place. I've done all kinds of research and I'm ready and rearing to go. I've decided I'm going to be a camp killer. The media will eat it up since so many classic slasher films take place in a camp setting like Sleepaway Camp, Madman, The Burning, and of course, Friday the 13th. I've been staking out a small summer camp known as Camp Friendly. I even decided to get a job as a dishwasher in the kitchen just to get a proper lay of the land. I'll target all of the female camp counselors. In this camp, the majority of the counselors have their own private cabins. This is perfect for me. I can enter their cabins late at night while they're asleep, quickly slit their throats before they have a chance to scream, and move on to the next cabin. Of course, every good serial killer has to have some kind of a calling card, and I've come up with something very creative. After I kill my victim, I'll cut their tongue out, and then I'll take a paintbrush, dip it in their blood, and paint the word cat on the wall. I'll be known as the cat, and the press will have a field day with the whole cat got your tongue thing. They're going to love me. I'll be their wet dream. After the buzz of my camp slaughter dies down, I'll strike again at another camp in another part of the country. And they'll know it's me because of my moniker. I even bought a latex cat mask. It has menacing eyes and a snarling mouth. When I first got the mask, I put it on and practiced slashing motions as if I were killing people. That sucker gets hot fast, and it's hard to breathe in. The eye slits are small, so if the mask moves around, it obstructs my view. I certainly can't have that, so I made some modifications. I enlarged the eye holes significantly and completely cut out the mouth so I can breathe freely. It still looks kind of like a cat. It's good enough, and more importantly, it's very functional. I bought a very comfortable-fitting black long-sleeve shirt and black cargo pants to wear as well. They match nicely with the mask. 
My overall outfit should give my victims a nice scare before I kill them. Tonight was the perfect night for my murderous debut. There was supposed to be a thunderstorm. Sure, it might be a little bit cliche, but it definitely sets the mood. Plus, the noise from the thunder would help drown out any potential screams. There were six cabins I was going to hit tonight. Lights out for everyone, it's 10 o'clock, so I thought I'd start my killing spree at about 1 o'clock in the morning. Everybody should be in a heavy sleep by then. I stood by the edge of the forest and observed for a short bit before I made my move. Every cabin was void of light. All was silent. No talking or laughing. It was all as I had hoped. The rain hadn't started yet, but there was plenty of thunder and lightning. The time was now. I pulled my cat mask over my head, stealthily left the cover of the forest, and approached the first cabin. This was the head counselor's cabin. She had quite the rack on her, so I was looking forward to taking a peek at those bodacious set of tatas after I eliminated her. Not surprisingly, her cabin door was unlocked. During my research, I had discovered that almost nobody at Camp Friendly locked their doors. That's how safe they felt. I was about to change all that. I pushed the door open a crack to peek in before I entered. The continuous flash of lightning illuminated the room quite well. I could see the head counselor tucked in under her covers, fast asleep. The door creaked rather loudly as I pushed it open, but the head counselor did not stir. I took out my six-inch hunting knife, which I had sharpened earlier, and took slow, quiet steps toward the bed. She had the covers completely over her head, but her humongous hooters made it clear that she was lying on her back. This was perfect. I could just pull the covers off of her and cut her lovely throat before she had any clue as to what was happening. I mean, I wanted to scare some of the gals before I killed them, but this was my first one. She needed to be taken care of quickly. I grabbed hold of the edge of the covers and yanked them off of her just as a fantastic flash of lightning lit up the room like daylight. I leaned forward to do the deed but then froze when I noticed that her throat had already been sliced, and someone had plucked out both of her eyes. Suddenly, the overhead light in the cabin turned on, unveiling the room from the dark. The first thing I noticed was the bloody words on the wall that spelled out, I see you. I spelled E-Y-E. I heard a loud creak from behind me as though someone had stepped on a weak floorboard. I spun around to see who it was and was met by an axe. I could tell that the hack was deep because I could feel the cold steel of the blade halfway into my head. I collapsed onto the cabin floor but fell in a way that I was propped up against the wall. I survived for about five more seconds, plenty of time for me to get a good look at my killer. They were wearing a doctor's lab coat that was spackled with blood and wore a large latex mask that was shaped like a giant bloodshot eyeball. Serial killer. 
The Eye Doctor. My name is Sherry. I'm a serial killer. Who says women can't be slasher-type serial killers? There's no rule against that, and I wanted to go down as the foremost female serial killer of all time. My favorite movie ever is Friday the 13th, so I decided I wanted to be a summer camp killer. I had honed in on a summer camp called Camp Friendly. I actually got a job working in the kitchen as a cook just to get a good feel for the place. I had the entire blueprint of the camp etched in my brain. I was ready. The plan was to kill all of the counselors, both male and female. I thought I could pull it off due to the fact that all the counselors had their own cabins. I could just sneak in there late at night while they were sleeping, pull back the covers, and slit their throats one by one. I even had an awesome idea for my serial killer signature. I would pluck the eyes out of my victims and write, I see you on the wall in blood. I being spelled E-Y-E. -E. Get it? Since this was my first massacre, I wanted to make sure they got my name correct, so I'd carve the words, The Eye Doctor was here, in the flesh of one of my victims. My serial killer's attire is a doctor's lab coat and a latex eyeball mask. The mask works quite well because the white bloodshot section of the eye surrounds my head, the blue eye color of the mask ends at my hairline, and then I paint my face black and that gives the appearance of a pupil. It works out great because it allows me to see and breathe freely, which is very important in the serial killer trade. My first kill went smoothly. I targeted the head counselor with the huge boobs to go first. It was easy peasy. I snuck into the cabin, pulled the covers off of her, slit her throat before she knew what was happening, and then plucked her eyes out. She bled profusely, so there was plenty of blood to use to write on the wall. It was a piece of cake. As I left her cabin and started toward the dwelling of my next victim, I noticed some movement near the edge of the forest. It was some guy dressed in black. Lucky for me, he was pulling a cat mask over his head as I stepped out of the cabin or he probably would have seen me. I slipped out of sight behind the cabin and watched as the cat man sneakily approached the head counselor's cabin and entered. I carefully made my way to the front of the cabin, pushed open the door, and watched as the cat man pulled out a knife and jerked the covers off of the head counselor. This man in the cat mask intended to kill her. I'm not sure if she was his only intended target, or if he was planning on more carnage, but either way, this place was only big enough for one killer, and that killer was me. A flash of lightning revealed my handiwork. I figured I'd let the cat see the rest of the show and turned on the light. He saw the writing on the wall and turned around just in time to receive the blade of my axe. It was a thing of beauty. I watched as the life drained from his eyes and then removed his mask. I recognized him as the dishwasher. It was perfect. Just another camp employee to add to my tally. And now if you'll excuse me, I have more victims waiting for me.
Grave Robbers. I never thought I'd say this, but I'm a grave robber. Allow me to explain. My husband, Phil, is a renowned and respected scientist, but he doesn't receive a bonus for the admiration of his colleagues. He makes only a modest salary by today's standards. For the last few years, he spent the majority of his spare time working on something that he described as potentially life-changing. He wouldn't tell me anything further until he perfected it. Perfection occurred earlier in the week. He arrived home from yet another late night with a smile on his face and a fancy bottle of champagne that was well out of our price range. Before I could scold him for being reckless with our finances, he sat me down and explained everything. He had successfully created a formula that emulates death. It slows down the heart, lungs, and all other vital functions used to determine life or death. The formula would work for 24 hours, after which the subject's body would quickly return to normal. Phil claimed that the formula worked so well that no doctor in the world would be able to ascertain that the subject was still alive. Anyone who took this substance would be declared dead within minutes. That all sounded fine and dandy, but I wasn't quite sure why this was such a groundbreaking moment. Then he went into detail. He explained that a few years ago he took out a gigantic life insurance policy on himself. And once he was declared dead, I could cash it. Then we could retire to a Caribbean island. We had always dreamed about doing such, but knew we would never be able to afford it. Until now. His plan was to ingest the formula. He would be declared dead, most likely by sudden heart attack. Once I obtained a death certificate, I could cash the life insurance policy and our dreams could become reality. Of course, there were a few details about his death that had to be taken care of first, but Phil had already planned it all out in advance. He would take the formula at night outside of his office while he and a co-worker walked to the parking lot. Their building was right next door to a hospital, so he'd be rushed there and declared dead on arrival. I'd play the part of the shocked and grieving widow. I got an A in drama class back in high school, so I was confident I could pull it off. I was to inform them that I did not want the body embalmed and that I wanted my husband to be buried immediately with no funeral or memorial service of any kind. Phil was always vocal about his disdain for what he considered a rather morbid tradition, so that would come as no surprise to anyone. Phil gave me the number of a grave robber. He had already been in touch with him and prepaid him. This man made a disgusting living from digging up graves, breaking into coffins, and plundering valuables from the body of the deceased. This was going to be an easy night for the grave robber. All he had to do was dig up the grave and pop the seal of the casket. He was not to open it. I would instruct him to wait by the car. At that time, Phil would emerge from the casket and hide in the nearby forest while the grave robber covered the grave back up. Nobody would ever know the truth other than Phil and me, and no one would ever suspect a thing. Everything was going just as Phil had planned. 
He took the formula just before leaving the office. By the time he was in the parking lot, he collapsed. Multiple co-workers were there and hurried him to the hospital and just as we hoped, he was pronounced dead on arrival. The funeral home was happy to expedite my requests. Upon Phil's orders, I bought the largest, cheapest casket available, which wasn't more than a pine box. That was perfect as it would be very easy for the grave robber to open up. Phil had already tested out a similar casket to determine how long he could breathe within it before he suffocated. He had enough air to breathe for five hours in the coffin. I had the funeral home bury Phil the next day at 2 p.m. and told them not to put his body in the casket until the grave had been dug and they were ready to seal it and put him in the ground. He had taken the formula at 7 p.m. At this time of the year, it gets dark by 5 p.m. The plan was to get to the cemetery shortly after 5. At that point, Phil would have two more hours of oxygen left. The grave robber insisted that he could easily uncover a freshly covered grave in less than two hours. When I picked the grave robber up, I didn't doubt him for a moment. He was built like a Mack truck. His hands looked like catcher's mitts. His face was large and weathered. He had a menacing appearance and a huge shovel. But he seemed nervous, which I thought was unusual for a grave robber who wouldn't technically even be robbing this grave. That's when he explained that earlier that day he sprained his shoulder and wasn't sure he'd be able to get the grave uncovered in the time frame I demanded. I panicked and pounded on the accelerator. I flew down the back roads to avoid police because getting pulled over would likely be the death of my husband. I was able to shave off about 10 minutes from the drive to the cemetery and we arrived at 4.50 p.m. Phil had only 130 minutes of oxygen left. I dropped off the gravedigger and told him to get to work and sped to the nearest hardware store to buy myself a shovel. I returned to the cemetery and started shoveling. Even with an injured wing, the grave robber's work at tearing through the earth was impressive. I was doing my best, but wasn't sure my assistance was going to be enough to save Phil. I was covered in sweat, my hands were blistering and bleeding, my heart was pounding out of my chest, but I never slowed down. And neither did the clock. Every time I looked at my watch, it seemed like another 15 minutes were gone. 6.15, 6.30, 6.45. It was 6.58 when the grave robber's shovel hit the top of Phil's coffin. It only took him another 7 minutes to uncover it. It was 7.05, five minutes past Phil's oxygen estimate. I feared the worst as the grave robber drove the shovel head into the crease of the casket's lid and broke the seal. My prayers were answered. Phil was alive. Apparently his oxygen was completely used up and he had been holding his breath for some time. When the grave robber cracked the seal to the casket, Phil shoved the lid open and took in a loud, gasping inhale of fresh air. <sighs> this freaked out the grave robber. He had no idea that Phil was alive. He started screaming, Zombie! Zombie! and withdrew a revolver from his jacket and shot Phil in the head multiple times. 
The grave robber then climbed out of the grave and ran away. I thought it was such a good plan. Such a shame that it didn't work. I could take the insurance money and move to the Caribbean. Phil would want me to. But I didn't want to go there without Phil. I didn't want to do anything without him. I did cash the insurance policy. I used some of that money to hire a hitman. He should be here any minute. I don't want to live without my husband. The Commitment He left me. This isn't the first time. He did it several times before, but never for long. Never this long. There was something different about this time. Something more conclusive. His tirade was quite convincing. More so than in the past. It really sounded like he meant it. But he'll come back to me like he always does. Won't he? We've been through so much together. I've known him since he was 15, and we've rarely been apart since. We went to prom together. We went off to college together. I was with him for all the milestones in his life. When he bought his first car, it was me who spent the day joyriding with him. I helped him celebrate when he graduated high school, college, when he got his first job, when he received his first paycheck. We had endless fun on the countless vacations we went on together. The concerts, the restaurants, the movies. We're best friends. Did I mention we lived together? And it hasn't all been laughter and lollipops. I helped him get through all his dark times as well. When his mother passed away, I didn't leave his side for an entire week. In all his times of trouble, it is I who he turns to. What will he do without me? As for me, I'll be fine. I have a slew of other men pawing all over me. Multiple men. Every night. There's no shortage of them. But they're all just looking for temporary fun. They aren't interested in a commitment. Like he was. This is what I've been reduced to as I wait for him. And wait, I will. My commitment to him is unbreakable. I'll always be here for him. Always. And he knows it. I do realize each day that passes without him returning to me means it's less likely that he ever will. And eventually I will have to come to the understanding that I am gone from his life forever. I try not to think about that, but I know it's looming out there in the not-too-distant future. But we haven't reached that point yet. At least that's what I keep telling myself. Here I am again sitting at a bar, all alone. Not literally. I'm popular, but none of these others love me like he did. 
As the night continues, people shuffle in and out, but not him. Maybe tomorrow night he'll show, or the next night, or the next night. How long am I going to keep thinking that? How long will I continue to have hope? How long before I give up? That's what I was thinking when he returned. And somehow, I knew all along he would. He sat at the bar across from me and stared at me. His eyes were fat with tears that streamed down his face. I watched on as he slammed his fist on the bar in pain and disgust. He was telling himself that he didn't want me anymore, that he didn't need me anymore. But here he is. Again. He said something to the bartender and pointed at me. The bartender grabbed me by the neck and poured me into his glass. He lifted the glass and we stared at each other for a long time. Words weren't necessary. He knew exactly what I was thinking. I knew you'd be back. We hope you enjoyed the show. We're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for our newsletter and I'll give you some free stuff. We'll see you soon. Very soon. If you like scary stories and you want to support the show, buy some of my books. I have a whole slew of them, and most of them are just 99 cents. Go to maniacontheloose.com slash books. Again, this is a great way to support the show. That's maniacontheloose.com slash books.